Welcome to the OMR Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Peterson, international content creator at OMR. We are coming to you from our HQ in Hamburg, Germany, home of the OMR Festival, coming up this May 17th and 18th, 2022. Today's guest is, you know what? We go to great lengths to find interesting movers and shakers, exceptional personalities and entrepreneurs from across the vast space that is digital marketing. Everyone is qualified, we like to think. And yet, some have even more of the goods, greater bona fides that stand out in any crowd, that just make you raise your eyebrows and take note. My guest today is one such atypical entrepreneurial success story. Karsten Toma, dear listeners, started, developed, built up, and sold CRM and cloud service provider Hybris to SAP in 2013 for an incredible $1.5 billion with B dollars, the largest exit ever by a German entrepreneur at the time. Karsten spoke to me from his home in New York about the Hybris deal, if he regrets anything about the timing, given that CRM and cloud technologies are now absolutely having a moment, incredibly lucrative propositions. We also touched on his current focus, which is as an early stage angel, angel investor, and if all that weren't enough, Carson also owns a chain of barbecue smokehouses in the U.S. If that doesn't whet your appetite, I don't know what will. All that and more coming up right now in the OMR podcast. My guest today is a business angel, venture capitalist, and entrepreneur, best known for his software startup Hybris, which he sold to SAP in 2013 for $1.5 billion. He is now primarily active as an investor and mentor of a dozen plus startups, mostly in the SAAS sector. And in his spare time, he owns a record label and a chain of barbecue joints in the United States of America. He is Karsten Toma, ladies and gentlemen. Karsten, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm doing great. Uh, thanks a lot. And thanks for having me today. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. Um, as I just touched on, there are a lot of different ventures that you are involved in, um, but there is no place to start other than with the big exit in 2013, your coming out party, so to speak, certainly made headlines in Germany and Europe, rightly so, as it was the biggest exit in Europe at the time and not just Germany. Um, what do you recall about those negotiations looking back almost a decade later? Oh, um, I, I think... I think it's fair to say that this was uh, that it was a stressful time, right? <laughs> it's um, it's it, it if you if you sell your company, uh, you you sell your company, and uh, uh -huh. and and that's a that's a sheer fact, and um, there's not there's not a not, not a lot of romance, <laughs> and not a lot okay. of space for romance there. And I think and I think that 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 potentially back then, if I think back now. Um, um, my partners in crime there, Ariel and Moritz. I think we have been strangely, strangely aware of that fact that that no matter how good the opportunity looks like, no matter what people promise you, and we had numerous options. It was not just one mm -hmm. offer, right? Uh, you need to be aware of the fact that you sell your company, and in the end, you give up that extra bit of entrepreneurial spirit and control. That 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 you had for many many years, and um, and I mean we founded the company in '97, so by the time we sold it, it was a 16 year run, and um, you got used to a lot of things. I'm not saying that all of those things um, were great, right? Uh, mm -hmm. We had strengths and weaknesses like every other company on this planet, 
but but you get used to a lot of things and um, and to 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 make ourselves aware of the fact that if we if we if we agree um, uh, to a transaction and and choose a partner, no matter how 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 diligent and where we make this choice, it's going to be a change, right? And I sure. and I think that helped us afterwards. And. So, uh, how did they how did they come about? You said you had a, a couple of different interested parties. You had a couple of different offers on the table. Um, I imagine that the competing offers were was the primary cause of stress, in addition to the fact that, as you just pointed out, you'd be uh, cutting ties or giving up control over what was essentially your your business baby for so many years. It was a teenager; had to let it fly, get out of the the nest, so to speak. Um, but how? Uh, how does that go about? Like when they when they contact you, did you pitch? I guess you didn't pitch to them. They would have just contacted you. No, Hypers, Hypers was was on the path of of of, of an IPO. Um, okay, and um, we, we were actually in full preparation for a going public event, and um, and then the interested parties came around, and um, mm -hmm. it's also it's also it's also fair to say that um, it was not the highest offer in the end that we chose. But it was the, it was the one because you asked about the selection process and how and how it feels, right? It was the one where we could see our vision, our product, and the, and the people in our company um, thrive most, right? In, mm -hmm. in that in that constellation, and um, and in hindsight, if it's only about that that decision and and um, the decision to go with SAP, that was on the M and A track the right decision. It, it, it was mm -hmm. an incredibly successful acquisition for, for SAP. It was an incredibly successful run for us in the years after. And, um, and, 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 and almost everything that was, uh, that was lined out and promised and committed um, uh, came true. So, so no regrets within the M&A track, no regrets there, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, that, was, that was definitely something that, that, we, still, that we still stand behind. So there's you wouldn't do anything differently, you don't think? Like uh, if the opportunity was was now, that's that's a, that's a different question because uh, I, I said I said I said within the M and A track that was the right decision. Okay. Uh, do I sometimes uh, think about uh, the option um, that we had back then to go public? Um, oh, oh yeah, obviously. I mean, it mm -hmm. is, it, but I think it's not it's not it's not with regrets, right? Uh, but right. but if you have like such big decisions in your life. Um, and um, I often, I often uh, still talk to Ariel Moritz about that. Uh, obviously, you, 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 you think about that. It's, it's such a, it's such a life, life-changing event, and it was also mm -hmm. such a life-changing opportunity on all sides. Uh, staying private as uh, like growing fast, uh, take it, uh, take it further, uh, going public, um, selling the company. We had, we had all three options. Uh, it, nevertheless, there was also. In 2013, it was it, it was definitely an incredible high price, and uh, and the integration plan and 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 uh, the combined strategy of both companies that SAP also la laid out to us was, mm -hmm. was appealing. And um, and then again, it, it came true, right? The the business uh, was growing for years, years and years. Uh, probably still is. I don't know, but mm -hmm. by the time I left, uh, it was it was thriving and 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 had top notch growth. So so. There is a certain rationale that says it was it was definitely a good decision. Was it the only decision? I don't know. Uh, I can't simulate that. Mm -hmm. um, so you, I'm just curious. Like you stayed on board for another three years after the the transaction took place. Um, in addition to surrendering, obviously the control um, 
uh, of the of of Hybris. What what else changed in in those three years? Uh, what were some of the the tangible impacts of the of the transaction that you saw as it impacted Hybris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be to be precise, uh, it was it was around three three and a half years after Hybris was integrated. Mm-hmm. After it became a true part of SAP, for the first few quarters after closing, we were pretty much a standalone entity. And mm-hmm. then when, once we got integrated, um, they created an end-to-end organization, an end-to-end business unit. Um, so, so it was not it was not a system shock because we still had full control over the hybrid business. Plus, SAP added all other front office slash custom experience pieces to the sales bag. So, mm-hmm. so, so in a certain sense, it was a very bold move from SAP back then also because they added a larger part of the SAP organization compared to the hybrid piece into our organization. And we were leading both. So, so that was basically the first time that someone created this custom experience super cloud, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and it, was, it was tempting. That, that's, that's also the reason why I, why I stayed, uh, stayed, um, stayed with the company for a few years after that move. Because it was super exciting. It was challenging. It was a mm-hmm. it was a bold vision. It was something big, and um, and you could you could learn a lot, right? And and probably eagerness, 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 and and having a certain level of control, as much control as you can have in a large corporation, uh, mm-hmm. was 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 reason enough. Now, was it also um, I don't know if separation anxiety is the right term, but just something where you wanted to make sure that you oversaw how it was integrated into SAP, which maybe influenced your decision to stay on for as long as you did afterwards or was it was it, was there something else no no that's that's i think that's referring to what i said earlier we were strangely aware that once you sell mm-hmm. you sell right obviously okay. from an emotional perspective you always have a few tender tender spots <laughs> yeah like <laughs> and, and 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 i'm sure that some of my reactions uh, looking at my sap colleagues uh, they, they might have realized they hit one of those tender spots right and <laughs> i guess you can't avoid that but but in the grand scheme in the grand scheme of things in the grand scheme of things uh, that was that was the part of my career where i was an executive of a large corporation and mm-hmm. not predominantly a founder. Okay. Um, what what caused you to finally step away? Uh, three things. So we, we hit a we hit a very nice milestone in my last year uh, in my in, like within my organization uh, was a magical bookings number within one calendar year um, mm-hmm. with a lot of zeros and and, and a lot of <laughs> a lot of growth. Uh, that was one one goal I always had in mind. Also, uh, when I sold the company. I had to make a list uh, what what, okay. what what drives me and 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 most of those bullet points were fulfilled and this was one of the last ones then in that year the year I left uh-huh. my daughter was born also my first child okay. uh, quite late in my like I was not a, a young father that's put it that way and um yeah and I think I think so one thing came to another and then I just just like you, you need to know when it's when it's enough sure. right it's like I and and you, there's always a bigger goal and a bigger goal and a bigger goal, but there's also there's also a lot of beauty in smaller goals and um, and different systems. And and when I founded Hybris, I was 22, and um, mm-hmm. by the time I left the company, I was whew, 42, so 43. 20 years. Yeah, Holy and it was just enough. I needed to reset. Okay. Just time to step away. Now, um, when you sold in 2013, SAP was for the most part, kind of the only game in town with regards to super clouds and, and CRM systems. Um, but uh, the, the sector in that space has definitely kind of blown up in the past 
five plus years, you have other companies in that space that are doing quite well from Salesforce, Oracle, Adobe, HubSpot, and, and others. Um, did did you have a sense that that was that the CMN, uh, CRM sector was on the cusp of blowing up at the time? Or was that something that maybe in hindsight would have given you pause to make the transaction or not go through with the IPO? I think actually Salesforce already was the dominant player by by that by that time in the in the classic CRM Salesforce automation space, and mm-hmm. and in 2013 Salesforce already had uh, like millions of, of of cloud CRM users, uh, and they mm-hmm. and they had already a super successful um, uh, Force.com, the platform uh, that was driving mm-hmm. the Salesforce ecosystem play uh, sitting underneath. So this was quite a uh, this was a leadership position. I think. I think already back then, SAP was playing catch up in the cloud, and um, hmm. and uh, and that was also one driver behind behind the hyper acquisition. Uh, that was to pro- help them catch up. To help them catch up and maybe lead with commerce and not with not with um, classic um, uh, SFA or, or, or CRM um, in a broader sense. So 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 given that fact, that was not a, a driver or resistor. Uh, towards an IPO or not, it really was about about which role which role can Hybris play on which mm-hmm. platform and how important is it, right? And um, that was just a, a very tempting scenario to help shape SAP's customer experience uh, vision with um, with with Hybris being the nucleus to that strategy. Okay, well, one last question about that uh, about Hybris and. I'm just interested. Do you do you still kind of keep tabs on it or use SAP SAP Hybris at all? And if you do, do you internalize it and compare it to your original vision, or is it something where you were just too close to it for too long that you just had to have a hard cut? Thanks for the memories. You'll always live on in my heart. Thanks for the memories. I yeah. I had a, I had a, like there was a. Uh, wonderful people uh, taking over um, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, also, my co-founder Moritz was still around at SAP, uh, taking on a leadership role um, within the organization, and, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 also all the other succession key roles were uh, very capable um, executives. And thanks for the memories. Uh, like, okay. I think I was I was I was already prepared for that uh, by the time I sold the company, and I would like. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't look back too far then. Okay. All right. Well, like I said, that is the first place to start, but it is by no means the only areas where, uh, where your, uh, interests and entrepreneurial skills are being put to use. Uh, you're also a solo early stage venture capitalist. Um, and you, are really solo. You don't have an instrument, an organization per se. You have, if I'm allowed to quote the email <laughs> that you sent me, you have an email address, and and you go after the companies, um, or, 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 or vice versa, <laughs> or, or vice versa. They 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 have they can find your email. Um, is I, I'm not obviously I'm a I'm a, a lowly podcast host. I am not involved in the VC space. Is that common practice? I think you see it more and more, and um, yeah, and I might say solo is really um, solo from an institutional perspective. I'm not an institutional uh-huh. investor. It's not it's not a fund structure. Um, there's no team behind it. Uh, it's really it's really just me. 
um, I also do like like all admin tasks and everything myself. <laughs> and um, it's it's get it's it's a little overwhelming at times, but it's working. I can imagine. Um, but nevertheless, obviously, uh, I am embedded in a in a very strong ecosystem. So. So mm -hmm. solo means in the end, with my money, it's my decision, right? And um, true, and which gives me a lot of freedom. And we can talk about that later. It's like, it's like also the, if you look at the taxonomy of deals that you can do being uh, being solo in that sense, you, you just have a lot, you just have a lot of options. But 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 I rely a lot on wonderful people in in the industry that that are running funds that are actually maybe even a bit more brave. And um, and take this huge responsibility also, um, which mm -hmm. is uh, investing other people's money, right? Um, sure. May okay. Maybe one one maybe one reason I don't know. I've never asked myself, and I have not had a, a therapy session on that. Maybe <laughs> maybe one reason why I, uh, we've got another half an hour. <laughs> here, so. Why I, why I'm solo in that sense is because um, I have probably had enough like pressure and 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 career perks in my life, right? And I just want to mm -hmm. really be free, also um, in in my decision making. But I do rely a lot on the funds where I'm an LP in. Um, mm -hmm. uh, also, obviously, in terms of deal flow, um, it, it's a lot that um, that comes from from those funds and the people that run those funds. And 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 I have like constant exchange discussions with um, with those people. And um, and also on like part time on the later stage side of things. So when it comes to a serious BCD deals, mm -hmm. uh, which is not my My, my, my core focus, but it's still important to me because many of my companies also are growing into that phase. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've teamed up with, um, with, a, with a, a growth fund team in, in Berlin at La Familia. Um, mm -hmm. And um, we're, doing, we're doing deals together for later stage, for later stage companies. So while my early stage um, um, decisions are solo, my life is not solo. Uh, like I'm, 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm deeply entrenched and embedded into into a beautiful community and, 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 and talk sure, to people. You, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Uh, I have a trusted circle of advisors, so mm -hmm. to speak, or people whose opinion you trust. Um, totally makes sense. Is there, um, are, are there any know, investing models you tend to maybe not follow, but you know, at least lean to or look to, toward uh, for some guidance, schools of thoughts, uh, strategy, anything like that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm usually like I'm an autodidact in everything. <laughs> usually, okay. usually, usually try to pave my own path. Um, um, sometimes too much paving, but uh, either way, um, I, are you talking about uh, connections, perhaps <laughs> bridges that you may or may not have burned? Which maybe this solo investing thing is uh, self-induced. Uh, it's a, it's but uh, one the, the most important thing for me is focus. Um, okay, I, I I invest except those two exceptions that you already mentioned. Uh, I invest only in what I understand, which is the broader enterprise stack. I, I literally mm -hmm. uh, try to envision the enterprise stack starting from the data layer into the future, um, and then narrow it down to the domains uh, that that I'm familiar with. And that's mm -hmm. and that's why I'm investing. Uh, so that's that's the topic. That's the focus. Uh, in terms of, of in terms of cycle and taxonomy of a deal, um, I usually I usually make the assumption that when I invest directly into a company, um, that, that the capital is forever. So the, I have no I have no aspiration in terms of uh, investment life cycle whatsoever. Um, and this is also why I mm -hmm. often invest across multiple stages, um, pre seed seed. Post seed, uh, Series A, um, and 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 I follow those companies and and try to develop a deep understanding of the market and and and, and first and foremost, 
um, even more important, a, a deep understanding of, of, of the founders and the team that drive it. Because uh, I think one of the most important things is that the entrepreneur has an easy time to extract value from you and not the other way mm -hmm. around. Um, and I think those three principles, focus, uh, long-term, and, and, and being easy to extract value from, if possible at all, for the entrepreneur. Um, uh, are well, how, how do they extract value from you then, would you say? Uh, as your expertise, where you can kind of delineate and see where their maybe quote unquote weaknesses are, or do you, are you more of like a, a hands off? Yeah, type no, of that's already exactly try to identify their weaknesses would already be too hands on, in, in yeah. my humble opinion. That's not not what I'm, it's it's really it's really being 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 available. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. sometimes help a little bit um, uh, phrasing and structuring uh, the, the the question right and and the and the and the working relationship that you have so mm -hmm. that they that they can get most of the answers in the least amount of time um and and move on mm -hmm. with that with a daily business um i think i think the moderation is is probably where i try to I try to help most um and the, and not being hands-on uh, i think that's that's the biggest mistake you can make in particular in particular um, with an entrepreneurial background you tend to to look at opportunities or problems in a way like how you would solve them, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't help anyone. Um, um, you need to you need to be able to to put yourself into the shoes of the person that has to solve the problem, and that often requires not one but three steps back. Okay, um, but so now, as far as like the the point two of the the three point pillar of your investment strategy, um, that your investments are essentially long-term investments, mm -hmm. long-term bets. You do not uh, look at them as like, as something like, okay, this I want to return within five years, any set number of years. You, you make the investment and you basically just say, here, I believe in you guys or girls, go and realize your full potential. Cor Is that correct? Correct. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. And also, and also when it comes to the downside, right, Somet sometimes, sometimes things don't work out, right? Mm -hmm. um, then, then I still try to help. And I had this example also to, uh, where I helped, like over a longer period of time, to wind the business down, so so that the entrepreneurs have a clean start afterwards, right? Okay, uh, but I'm just uh, is that not also? Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm thinking of like a, a a poker kind of analogy of bankroll management where I'm seeing like if you were basically you're investing in something and saying, take my money, I believe in you guys, please go ahead, be what you can be, um, without any expectation of a return. Um, is that not, uh, because as far as my understanding, like most of the investments, or not most, but investments are risks. You're basically placing a, placing a bet because you never know what's really going to happen or how they turn out. Um, there are a lot of factors involved that um, I don't think anybody can really either foresee or control. So I'm just wondering, like, if there is like a risk mitigation factor that goes into your thought process, or if it's just really you're coming from a place where you are playing with within your bankroll management, where you know that this one investment is not going to make mm -hmm. or break you. Um, is there is is there some relevance to what I'm what I'm getting at to what I'm saying? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one 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 massive risk mitigation factor for me is the focus. 
that that if I do direct and and and, and let's and let's and let's clarify this. My direct mm-hmm. my direct investments are often like uh, are often not always independent from from the companies I'm invested in through funds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I make an additional incremental direct investment or a standalone direct investment to the company, it's exclusively, except my two hobbies, something that I deeply understand. That is a huge risk mitigation factor. So the next point that's interesting is if I do a direct uh, solo investment, mm-hmm. I have no, like, I don't need a certain return expectation. So if you if you stay within your focus and you do not need to deliver a certain IRR to your to your LPs within your fiduciary duty, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's another risk mitigation factor because it's not asymmetric, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that allows that allows for a more long term view because in the in the end, in the end, uh, for me, it's I don't have to respond to anyone in those solo investments if after seven eight years. Um, the annual return is uh, is below ten percent. It's still a good investment for me, and it still might okay. be a beautiful company, right? So, so if if you can avoid taking those huge bets because you don't have to thrive for asymmetric returns, then mm-hmm. then I think you have automatically more um, long term thinking and risk mitigation built into the approach. All right. Um- I wanted to ask you, because you brought, mentioned focus, um, and then you also mentioned um, that you don't really have to expect a return, um, that you can just essentially park your money, leave it be. Were there or have there been any instances where you've regretted, without naming names, obviously, but maybe thought that you know, I, I missed this one? Or is your record so far... Pretty good. <laughs> no one, no one can claim that. No one can. Claim that. <laughs> no, All right, no, I just I, wanted to check it out. I, I, no one, I've heard that before. No, no one can sure. claim that, and I have numerous examples. But, but the, the funniest one, um, if you are familiar with the industry, is um, I think, I think I turned down, uh, I turned down Toast. You know the restaurant tech. Uh, uh, company that just went public. Like I don't know, is it like thirty-five billion company now? Um, I turned down toast uh, two or three times, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 all three times, it, uh, the, I think the valuation was still below one hundred million. And uh, the first time it was like super low. Okay. And every time I said it's too expensive. <laughs> and um, and and this and and my 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 friend and and by the way, wonderful entrepreneur, um, Steve Papa. He he like he like tried again. And said like I think I think you're wrong here like <laughs> okay. no like I'm not um, and by the way funny fun, fun fact is um, he did the same with me when when I showed him Salonis a few times <laughs> so I was like really so no no one can claim that no one can claim that all right um, so uh, so I guess it's safe to say that there's there'll be no uh, toast served at the Toma household for I, tr- I, 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 I try to avoid it <laughs> yes I can imagine. <laughs> All right. Um, I did want to ask about like maybe some more of the current events that maybe impact your investment style, like like meta trends. Do those tend to impact um, particulars in your investment strategy? Maybe time, um, or you know, just other circumstances that are out there, whether it's you know inflation or uh, supply chain disruptions, which are going on now, mm-hmm. um, things of that nature. Or do current events largely impact a shorter term view of a company's possible success. Um, and you take a long-term view. 
Mm. I mean, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, we have to divide this into different pieces. Um, looking, lo looking at the core investment focus, uh, enterprise, a future of enterprise uh, stack, um, so many of the things that are happening right now are, are basically tailwinds, right? Not headwinds. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, you can, you definitely can, can uh, address a lot of those problems, in particular in the supply chain, uh, but also when it comes to to efficiency and bottom line with um, with a more sophisticated use of data which requires uh, more sophisticated data infrastructure, storage, uh, extraction, aggregation, right? And you, mm -hmm. you can address a lot of those problems with, um, with more automation. And um, I think both, both, both themes are, are deeply entrenched into what I would call the future enterprise tech stack, right? So, so, so that's, a clear, that's a clear tailwind. Um, the, the, other part, uh, the other part is probably more tricky when it comes to, to scarcity of talent, Uh, but also, mm -hmm. but also inflation, which which obviously leads, which obviously leads to a market um, that is that is overheated, um, mm -hmm. and and uh, because a lot of money is is flowing uh, into 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 the venture scene. But I'm actually surprised in between um, the current generation of entrepreneurs. Um, there are obviously uh, there's always a lot. Um, That, that are riding a wave and also like maximizing terms, et cetera. And by the way, mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing to do, right? If you know what you're doing. Uh, but there, there's also like, there's also a, a, a segment out there um, that are super aware that uh, like things always in the end will come back to a seven year, 10 year average, right? Mm -hmm. And that are very thoughtful um, uh, if they believe the hype or not. And uh, are trying are trying to make rational long term uh, choices and decisions. So so I'm I'm like every week I'm surprised how um, how thoughtful uh, that generation of entrepreneurs can be in 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 trying to to navigate and balance uh, this this extreme atmospheric <laughs> like mm -hmm. environment right now, right? And uh, are there is there anything like right now that you've like kind of noticed as far as trends are, uh, go um, that is maybe a little overhyped or undervalued at the moment? Uh, overhyped, if you ask me, like the whole fifteen, thirteen and a half, eleven minute delivery space. I, mm -hmm. uh, maybe I just don't understand it, but but. Uh, I, the the hyper delivery like grocery yeah or, yeah I just okay. I just have a hard time if you look at if if you look at the underlying uh, models um, and then if you look at the valuations I just have a hard time getting it together um, okay that's that's that that is like but again it might be me <laughs> okay I just I just can't see that the value um, and the difference. In, in those delivery windows uh, are sustainable in a sense that you can pay and treat your workforce nice without relying on a like without relying on the fact that in in high density areas you have a a, a huge gap between people that can actually pay that premium versus mm -hmm. people that can do the work for an extreme low amount of salary. You see my point, like in, uh, to make the margins worthwhile. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In a sustainable yeah, and, time, uh, time. Yeah, and time. if I and, and if I extrapolate this into the future, um, 
that it might work, but it's probably not working for like 10 different competitors. So, so, so I would expect if it works and if it prevails, there's a massive consolidation, which absolutely, which, yeah. which makes it like, like hard to justify extraorbitant valuations for every single one. I uh, actually, a uh, friend of the show, and I believe a friend of yours as well, Steve from Activant was on here, and uh, I asked him exactly that question uh, about the market and how many players that the market can reasonably withstand. And you know, consolidation is something that we definitely hit on. And uh, him and his company, they invest uh, their partners in, in Joker. And his point was it's all about the execution. Um, and that's the only, it's one of the biggest deciding factors, determining factors, I should say, in who's going to survive. Obviously, his view on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps you and Steve have spoken about uh, the uh, hyper-delivery mm-hmm. service. Yeah, sure uh, we did, yeah. Because yeah. uh, uh, I just found it interesting. That that's like the, that's the, that's the hype bubble for you. And that was one where, where he put uh, him and his company... Uh, decided to get a stake in, have a bet on a horse. Yeah, I mean, if 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 one uh, there's a, there's going to be one or two companies depending on the region that will win. So so sure. uh, th- that's going to be a good bet, most likely. It's but it's, again that goes back to 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 the investment philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. I have the luxury um, that that I can just narrow down my uh, my my focus to to the little world that I totally understand. <laughs> sure, the little world. Yes. Well, let's let's talk about a little bit uh, that little world. Um, in your uh, no, I was about to call it an investing instrument vehicle again. It, through your through your you, um, you have how many companies in your portfolio? About twelve, about a dozen. Uh, direct investment. Since I started investing, probably more like thirty. 30? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I was only slightly off. Um, when did you start investing on your own directly? Um, at slow pace. Uh, at slow pace in 2011. Very slow pace. And then obviously it picked up after I, I, I left um, SAP. Okay. And uh, so of the 30 companies, um, how, many, how many exits have you achieved? If you uh, achieved is probably the wrong word. But how many exits have taken place? Probably four. Four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not not bad. Uh, I mean, especially considering that you weren't expecting to get anything out of it since we just covered your long-term investment philosophy. Um, at least I would imagine. Um, I'm not sure exactly what your return was. I'm not going to ask unless you want to tell me. I mean, long-term, <laughs> long-term doesn't mean, like, uh, to clarify that I'm not... Like I'm not trying to lose money. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. But you don't have any type of set window where you no, want to have don't. something Ex- back. Exactly. And exactly. so 2011 is exactly one decade ago, yeah. um, unless you're listening to this in January. But within a decade to have four exits when you were not expecting, at least initially, uh, any, I mean, I think that's got to be class considered a win it's a win yeah absolutely yeah and 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 the fact that if you look at the other companies um except two they're all still in business and growing um that's that's obviously that's, that's obviously uh yeah that's a positive that's a positive yeah absolutely well three of the names in your portfolio which is now 30 maybe i should have done my research a little bit better um but three of the names that jumped out to me were uh you mentioned this before salonis salonius Salo- how would you pronounce salonis Salonis, uh, Paddle, and Sevdesk. Um, definitely um, uh, on the, the very uh, 
tech-heavy, the granular side of this uh, space that you were, uh, that you are very much an expert on. I am very much not. Um, but um, so Salonis is a process mining and execution software from your hometown of Munich, correct? Correct. All right. Um, and um, they're also much like you in the sense like you've done your due diligence and you just want to support these people as much uh, as you can so that they can realize their full potential. That is also what Salonis has uh, declared as their motivation, which is to help companies achieve their uh, mm -hmm. maximum potential. Um, and then you have Paddle, which is a revenue delivery platform mm -hmm. from the UK. And then Sevdesk, another German company, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, an invoice and accounting software uh, company, which I I know, is it only for smartphones or is it also for smartphones? Also for smartphones, but focused on small businesses, which, okay. which is wonderful. And look, if you look at the uh, digital potential for small businesses, in particular mm -hmm. Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, there's like yeah. there's a lot of ground um, to be made and a lot of opportunity out there. Yeah, yeah the SME uh, culture in Germany is very, very big. Correct. Uh, the yeah. the medium-sized businesses, I mean, you... you um, Germans, generally speaking, uh, having lived here for over 15 years, they are risk averse is maybe the wrong word, but they want to have a very secure basis. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily need to grow much like uh, the Americans necessarily want to. They, they, they find their little happy medium. That's, that's, and, that's a big question now. What, was this a good thing that uh, there was a little bit of a loss of the, of the SME space? Because in, they were too America. conservative? No, in America. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you yeah. there. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the death of mom and, mom and pop stores was going on, I would say, before Amazon just put the final nail yeah. in the coffin. You had Walmarts that were expanding everywhere and putting all sorts of businesses yeah. out of business, um, killing like all sorts of, you know, thriving little small towns otherwise. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um and it's something that I definitely appreciate in Germany is that, you know, you definitely have these regional differences. And and so uh, where I was going into with the question about Sevdesk uh, and Salonis and Paddle, um, why – what were – what were some things I was wondering if you could share about maybe some of the, the deciding factors for you that made you want to invest directly in these companies? Uh, that's that's wonderful. That's a wonderful question. Uh, three three different cases, three very different drivers. Let's start. Let's start at the one uh, that's that um, that's that's the oldest investment of the three, which is Salonis. Salonis. Uh, when I was studying law. I worked at Hewlett Packard, and mm -hmm. um, I, I was analyzing uh, why the HP 3000 back then, which was the most successful product, server product uh, at HP, uh, on-time delivery was below forty-eight percent. So, 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 actually, what I did was reading out the order management fulfillment and delivery systems, trying to figure out what went wrong where and visualize it. So, if you mm -hmm. now think about Sedonis, I basically did process mining manually. So when 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 Alex and Basti came to my office back then, uh, was still the SAP office back then, and they started talking about uh, what the intention is, what the company is doing, I understood it within five seconds because I did that um, 15 years before um, as my student job, and um, mm -hmm. and then I saw those two guys, and I remember that like like I, I texted my assistant under the table to cancel two meetings afterwards, and 
uh, we, 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 they finished the story. Uh, we talked about the business, and I was just fascinated. And um, okay, it was an investment decision I made. I think within yeah that one hour, it was crystal clear to me wow. that uh, this is a massive problem that they're solving because I understood it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that those that those two two guys will will, will get the job done. It was just zeroed out. Um, I didn't know how big the market can be, uh, like what what product uh, growth options and avenues are out there for them. That's it's obviously you don't figure that out within an hour, but but the fundamentals of uh, doing an investment there um, were, were, were crystal clear. Um, uh, then uh, Paddle is just a very 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 special, unusual uh, entrepreneurial story behind the founder or the founders. Yeah. Um, uh, having his first company, I think at the age of 14 um, in a related space that actually he managed mm-hmm. to get this to, I think like 200,000 customers or something like this. Really crazy. Uh, as a teenager. Yes, as a teenager. And coming from, I think, the north of England, not like not, not even London, not, not London and, and obviously also not uh, like the super uh, spider networked uh, Silicon Valley, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um a small chap to ah, no, I'm going to spare that. Um, but oh, we can get <laughs> back to that. That sounds juicy, Carson. I'm not going to lie. So, so I, I, I just loved it. And um, and uh, his co-founder Harrison, uh, same material, and um, and uh, like wonderful approach to making the company better, uh, um, mm-hmm. having a big aspiration, uh, solving problems, uh, sometimes a little bit different. And this was probably like a little bit remind, rem, reminded me of of our own story um, we, okay. because we had to be super proprietary back then. I mean, founding a company that does enterprise e-commerce in '97 was probably not the best idea at the time, and led to all types of problems. And um, and founding a company as a revenue delivery engine for SaaS companies um, when when Christian did it, I think was also very gutsy. So. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was on Paddle and and on Safdesk. Um, I met met the founders a few years before they actually let me invest, um, and um, and I liked them. And and they probably probably when we met the first time, um, there was mm-hmm. too big of a difference in how I looked at things. You know, from my thirty thousand feet perspective, yep. and how how right. they looked at things and and their experience. And then and the two or three years after. Uh, we, we we got closer, um, so we we converged and uh, and when they did the the next round, they called me again, and they said, look, if like if you want to look into the case and if it's um if it's if it's timely for you, um, it would be great if you can join. And this is a great mm-hmm. example. Um, all three, I think, are good examples, um, uh, like how founder centric probably also my decisions are. I guess. So it's it's ba- it's. Uh, not only in your, I guess maybe like your uh, initial from your research, the impression that you get, your gut feeling is then solidified by the the the, the your opinion of the founders. Is that correct? Correct. And if you think about all three cases, and obviously that should not uh, that should not uh, fall too short. Um, obviously, all three in the broad enterprise stack are platforms, right? So mm-hmm. so they sure. so they have a big TAM. So that was that like that was already clear before. So, mm-hmm. so to match the potential of the market with um, the personality and potential of the founders was basically the uh, the thing to solve for. Is is that a bit dangerous though to have somebody's charisma 
maybe be the deciding factor in a deal or not? Or is that something where you are comfortable enough in your judgment of people where you don't feel like they're going to be able to hoodwink you? I mean, if you, if, if, if you take the example of, if you take the example of, of Salonis, Pedal and Seftesk, I mean, by the time, by the time I met them, they all had proven products. So it was, okay. it was clear they could build products and it was clear that they understand the market. Um, and it was clear that the market is big. So, so then the entrepreneur and founder uh, becomes uh, almost the last, the last piece of the puzzle slash the, fir- okay. slash the first piece of the puzzle is just a function of when you meet them, right? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I was just curious if that was, because it just sounds like it was more or less the cherry, the icing on the cake, the cherry on top, whatever you want to no, say. It's, it was uh, a timing icing. function also. Like if you, okay. obviously if you, if you meet if you meet companies that have an idea and that probably have not fully fully fledged out the thinking mm-hmm. around what they're going to do with their idea that's that there are many more factors in play right um, mm-hmm. this is also the difference between this is also the difference between at, at different stages um, of when you invest right um, mm-hmm. it, it changes over time and 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 you have different frameworks this is why you have VCs that are specialized in pre-seed. And on scouting, this is why you have VCs that are specialized on, um, on 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 seed and post seed. This is why you have growth VCs, and this is why you have late stage VCs. And and I think like it's going to be very difficult uh, for some of the firms to uh, to be a very very good partner across all those stages. Because mm-hmm. um, it is truly different, and 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 you have different frameworks and how you make decisions and how you can actually enable the company and help the entrepreneurs. And that, that probably also kind of matches to your own. To your own skill set and personality, so 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 trying to be everything to everyone is 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 not working, right? Um, well, I judge, talking about like the, the a, a timeline or a time frame of uh, of a deal. Like, how long do deals? How long does it usually take from your like maybe initial uh, uh, cognizance of a company? Um, until you actually invest. I mean, you mentioned Salonius. Within an hour of meeting them, more or less, you were so enamored that you were ready to to pull the trigger and to invest. Um, what is a, a common time frame for for an investment of yours? Again, that's a little stage dependent. Uh, when if, if I do solo decisions on early stage companies, uh, there is uh, often not that much you can look into, right? You either understand mm-hmm. what the idea is and what the or what the idea could be and, and what the market is. And um and then and then that's usually more of a bet, right? The earlier you are. Yeah. Um and that usually also doesn't take too much time unless you want to sit one cycle out, right? And then mm-hmm. revisit and remeet the company uh, on the next on the next fundraise. But this is anything between between three days and and uh, and two weeks. Right. Wow. If you if you go a little bit later stage, as example, if I do late stage deals with um, with uh, Judith, Jeanette, and Alex mm-hmm. and Philip, right? Um, that that is weeks at a time because uh, uh, there's uh, other people money involved. There's uh, there's there's diligence. There are models that are fairly complex already. Uh, there are different like simulations that you have to go through. What this can mean um, uh, for the future. So that's a, mm-hmm. it's a completely different. It's a completely different approach. Fair enough. Um, it, how much, roughly, uh, what type of, of capital uh, are we talking about in the early stage? How much are you actually investing a ballpark on Salonius Paddle or, or Sevdesk? 
Because uh, what I'm getting at is not so much the figure itself, but the figure compared to two weeks of saying, let's go. Um, I will tell this every entrepreneur that I'm discussing around with, but I'm going to skip the question here. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to push back on it, but uh, all right. You can't get me. I, I would, you, you could get me in trouble. That's <laughs> that's why I was saying a ballpark. You know, I'm nothing here. I'm just you know, rough uh, estimate of zeros. Okay, I'll give you an I'll give you an answer that the the entrepreneurs that listen to this will understand. Everything that's appropriate for <laughs> an entrepreneur at the respective stage, without being a dominant investor, still being incentivized enough uh, to add value. And uh, we've seamlessly into the system that the entrepreneur needs to succeed is the right number. That that sounds like a that sounds like an answer you've had practice at giving. <laughs> no, I didn't. But I really made it up. Well, but it's the truth. Really? But it's the truth. Well, but it's the truth. Yeah, it's really the truth. It's the Goldilocks number. Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's just not too hot, not too cold. It's just right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit because you obviously know a lot about that, but I want to talk about something you don't really know about apparently, and that is barbecue. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> um, you have uh, this. Is, uh, these are a couple of passion projects of yours, I would assume. This uh, sticky fingers, your chain of barbecue smokehouses, and Wharf Cat, a record mm -hmm. label. Um, how how did you get involved in those? Was it just uh, f forgive me for being flippant, sheer boredom of being in the tech space? Like I want I want to have something tangible in front of me. Um, uh, how does how do these come about? <laughs> no, it, it's, it's a huge outline. You know, <laughs> let's talk about the barbecue one first. You know, it's that moment in time when you think you have a good friend that shows you an opportunity. And you, mm -hmm. and you think you are already smart enough as an investor while you're not. Um, that's <laughs> okay. exactly when things like this happen. And, uh, and in, the st in the case of Sticky Fingers, I mean, the, the, the friend who brought you the opportunity is luckily still a friend. And we have, <laughs> we have good laughs about it, but we really had no clue. But I tell you, like, I, can, I, can, I, I recall the discussion I recall the discussion as if it was yesterday. We looked at we looked at the case, and I don't even know how he came came about it. But the company had, I think, by the time we looked at it, six ownership changes in seven years, and was still mm -hmm. still throwing off a fairly stable revenues. And it, and and obviously, my entrepreneurial thinking, and this is we're talking 2012 here, so it was just mm -hmm. when I started investing. Was like, okay, if you can't kill something with six ownership changes, which would have been horrific for me, right? Being an mm -hmm. entrepreneur, building long-term, long long-term, long-term, long-term. Then you might as well buy it. And um, obviously that was not enough dimensions um, being part of the, uh, because there were so many, like in hindsight, there were so many long-term trends that, that actually already started to show that are in the restaurant business are like very, very difficult to, um, mm -hmm. to reverse. And I just didn't see them because it was not an area of expertise. And, um, and yeah, and then it became a kind of a hobby. Like we, like, yeah, mm -hmm. like we, 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 we I, I stick with the company and, and we tried numerous things solely to find out that we have no clue. Um, and, um, and, but now the company, uh, even after the COVID disaster is in capable hands and, uh, still around, it's still, it's still, still around, smaller, not thriving, smaller, um, uh, was unavoidable. Turning out brisket. Yeah. Was unavoidable. Correct. Uh, still the same smell. I, I, I still I, I still I still don't like ribs, 
But um, you, you don't like ribs, but you got involved in a barbecue smoke yeah, chain. Yeah, that's that's weird. That's really weird. Yeah, that's, it's it's odd. So next, you're going to tell me is you don't like music, but you own a record label. I don't own it. I've, I'm, okay. I'm 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 a, I'm a, I'm a large investor in it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't own it. Uh, that, that's actually the complete the complete opposite story, because okay. um, it's it's owned and run by um, uh, by two brothers. Uh, that uh, that are super capable. Um, that are mm-hmm. that are the that are like like that that had sophisticated careers, um, but their passion was independent music, uh, starting out with punk mm-hmm. music uh, in the in the New York Greenpoint uh, independent punk skater scene, and and mm-hmm. and they literally applied all their wits and IQ and grit uh, uh, towards uh, the passion that they had, and um, and uh, and and left out incredible careers right that they mm-hmm. could have pursued and and that was that was convincing enough for me to to help them out a little on the financial side um, but in this case obviously there was no need for me to understand the music industry because you have uh, two incredible founders running the show and um, and doing very well uh, so so both of these deals then essentially came about though through through your own network through your own Circle of friends, mm-hmm. things of that sort. Correct, yeah. And then also, they also both came with the realization because in, in very different ways, because it was so so asymmetric, the experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was easy for me to come to a conclusion that if I, uh, if I fortify my investment activities, it needs to be laser-focused in the areas that I do understand. Because I could All see right. with those two investments, I could see what difference it makes if, if, if people understand what they're doing. Um, versus the barbecue chain where I had no clue, right? So so that no clue and you never learned to love ribs. Correct. Correct. I I, <laughs> well, I, I give it another I'll give it another shot one day. Uh, all not right. now. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well Carson Toma, that's all I got for you. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. This was fun. Um, I, I'm glad to hear it. Is the uh, honor was uh, the privilege was all mine. I really enjoyed it. Hopefully, maybe one of these days we can meet up in person. The Omar Festival is coming up. I don't know if you've ever been, but it's spectacular. Where is it? Uh, it'll be in Hamburg, uh, May 12th and 13th, 2022. That that could work. I'm back in Europe. I'm starting in December, so send, send, send me an invite. I, I, I will. I will. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. All right. That's great. Bye. 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 Thank you, everyone, for listening. I also want to thank Carson Toma for finding the time to come on and share his insights with me and all of you. I hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. If you did, please let me know. I'd love to hear back from you. And please crush that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.